0: Named one of the world's most innovative companies for 2019 by Fast Company Magazine, Austin, Texas-based Brigo Coffee House combines modern mobile technology, cloud computing, and robotics to produce a unique specialty coffee experience. And you know what? It's not just the unique spectacle of seeing your coffee being made anytime, 24-7. It's the satisfaction of drinking a consistently made brew composed of a special blend that features high-altitude Arabica beans. After all, Brigo team is totally fanatical about their coffee and really at the end of the day, it's still about the coffee. So have yours hot or iced with dairy or non-dairy and with or without quality gourmet syrups and natural sweeteners. Know that it will always be a Brigo experience. So next time you're in Austin bergstrom International Airport or San Francisco International Airport, make sure to experience connected coffee for yourself and keep an eye out for several more airport locations in the coming months thanks to their exclusive partnership with SSP America and, of course, Learn more about their innovative solution at Brigo.com. Welcome to the Airport Experience News Podcast. I'm Ramon Lowe, the host of this pod and the publisher of AXN. As always, thanks to all of you who have subscribed. And for those of you who are listening to this episode particularly, uh, if you've yet to subscribe, please, please do so. Um, also, share us with family and colleagues. They can find us in iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. And if you like what you hear on this episode, or maybe past episodes, because we do have a huge library of them uh, now, um, please leave a positive comment or review. Definitely would help. So this is episode 67, and here I chat with Pat Murray of SSP America. I... Honestly, could have spoken to Pat for about another hour um, longer than what we recorded here. Uh, and really, I should have anyway, because it's not like I was going to run out of tape to record this conversation, because, well, no one uses tape anymore. Anyway. I really wanted to talk to Pat about the industry um, and some of the issues out there at the moment, and Pat's really a great person to kind of discuss these issues with. Well, anyway, enough about all that. Let's get to the meat of the conversation. Here is my chat with Pat Murray. So I'm here with Pat Murray, the Executive Vice President for SSP America. Pat, thanks for taking the time to speak with me.
1: Hey, thanks so much, Ramon. Appreciate it. And uh, thanks to you for taking the time.
0: So we're recording this in October, which is kind of like in the front end of the fourth quarter of the year. And this is when we here at, um, God, I was about to say ARN, but <laughs> here at AXN start really looking towards the coming year. And that's the reason why I wanted to have you on because... I'd love to get your opinion and thoughts on all the trends and issues that will be affecting our wonderful little industry. But before we look forward, I would really love to um, have you share a little bit about 2019, the year that was, and how it was for, for SSP. Yeah, you know,
1: Ramon, uh, it felt like uh, another of a successful group of five or six years in a row where SSP grew its sales by about a third. So. Um, you know, it's been a remarkable run and, uh, you know, I'll say sometimes you're really busy and you don't always take stock in it. So appreciate, you know, the way you framed up the question, because it makes you feel good. Mm -hmm. Things are really good. And, uh, you know, I'm one of those people who tries to lock that away and say, Hey, it's not always going to be good. You know, I, uh, I took this job just before the 2008 slash nine crash. And, um, those are some tough days. These are great days at SSP. Um, you know, we're growing our businesses. Uh, of course, we're profitable. And, uh, you know, along with that, the group itself, SSP continues to get bigger and bigger and add great people. And it makes it a lot of fun. Um, our industry is uh, cool and energetic, and there's a lot of good things going on in it. You know, when I think about 2019, um, I think that, for, first of all, our company actually ends its fiscal year, September 30th. We've already completed our year. Okay. Um, many of the other companies on our channel are are calendar year fiscals. So they're, they're a little bit different. But, uh, you know, there's some unique things that happened this year. You know, the biggest one is the 737 Max. You know, the month of June had, I think, four major conferences in it. And so I saw, you know, all the leaders of the various big companies um, almost each week of that month. And in the first week of June, you know, we were sort of asking everybody, hey, what's going on with sales? And yeah. <laughs> no one seemed to really know. And uh, then by week four, it, literally everybody was standing around going, wow, we might be in trouble here. Yeah. And uh, the 737 MAX absolutely has had an impact on uh, the business you know, fortunately for us, you know, we're not just focused on the organic business, but we're also literally growing um, the top line with new businesses. So it helps cover up some of those things. You know, i, I cross my fingers every day. I, I got the news feed the watch the 737 Max, and hopefully uh, our guys in Washington can figure out how to get those things back in the air. But but, you know, absent of that, I would have said, uh, you know, it's been a great year for us. Um, and uh, you know, our guys are already hurtling into um, what we call 2020 because 2020 started about three weeks ago for us. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's fun stuff, though. Really good. Thank you for asking.
0: If you look back to 2008, 2009, when you said when you first started, it's been about a decade now and uh, listen i was there I, I watched the growth i mean have you ever experienced i mean the team you had back then to now i mean it's not just changed but really has grown i mean is it is it that typical in in a space that as i don't know if we want to say uh, that moves at a glacial pace i don't know but like does it seem like the growth came pretty quick or you know average
1: well, i um well no for sure hey listen you don't grow a company like that um at that rate uh, for any one reason there's a whole slew of reasons and as you noted incrementally along the way the team's uh, grown and then suddenly changed you know back in 2008-9 uh, we it was literally hand-to-hand combat mm-hmm. and you know just a couple of us and you know thank God you know Les knew what he was doing <laughs> you know yeah. so I mean Les uh, knew where all the necessary things were to run a company and get it started and get us up off the ground and point us in the right direction and, you know, we had a lot of other talented people who you know, uh, who contributed a lot to those early days. Over the last five or six years, you know, what we've been able to do is attract to the company just some really significant players that have uh, helped change our business Um, because, you know, not only do they have the skills to actually go operate restaurants in our channel or develop and win contracts on our channel, they're also leaders. And so they attract other people like that. Mm So it's a very dynamic environment. Um, You know, when somebody new comes to the company, you know, one of the first things I tell them is, you know, First, don't worry about the org chart because it's constantly changing, right? (laughs) You know, if you think we're adding a third every year, there's always stuff. Um, You know, I also say to them, you know, however talented or skilled you are, it's going to take a little while to figure out where all the nuts and bolts are. And, you know, you just got to kind of work your way through it. Spend time on the people and the rest of the stuff is going to come. I also think that, you know, you well know, uh, I guess uh, about four and a half years ago, my mentor left competitor retired when the company went public and we were blessed to find, you know, the perfect guy at the perfect time. Michael has, you know, grown two other companies and uh, from the bottom up. And so coming to us at the right time, a lot of his skills are tailor fit for what we were doing. So... Mm -hmm he knew exactly how to handle a growing company and how to make people feel uh, like they were um, uh, necessary and their opinions were needed and how to care for the business. And I, I kind of would find it hard to believe that if you went through individuals in the company, they all wouldn't comment on that. So I think, Hey, you know, we have to treat it preciously. Um, sure. I think most people in the company would suggest we have something uh, special You know, uh, many of the guys who, you know, who work on my team, you know, expect this to be the last job of their careers. And, uh, you know, they're willing to do whatever is necessary to further the company so that that's possible for them. So I I think... um, you know, you never know what's hanging around the corner. There's always can be difficult times. God bless. We never get back to 2008 or nine again. Yeah. Um. But God bless that aviation continues to grow at the rate it is. And uh, you know, it's a fun, fun time. So, and uh, a lot of it has to do with just finding the right individuals to uh, to build a business.
0: Well, I'm glad that you mentioned. Uh, I'm just again, this is just touching back on on 2008, 2009, because my next question is really about the industry, and I'd like for you to look at within the time frame of 12 months. I don't need to tell you, this industry is getting much more difficult. And it seems like the difficulty is, it, it, the pace is pretty rapid. So it, it's funny when you're saying you're, um, you've are you added a lot of folks within the last four or five years and getting them onboarded. I'm sure it's kind of like a fast moving train. They just got to jump on and kind of learn so quickly, <laughs> right? There's a few things I'd love to go over with you that I, I'm just interested in get your thoughts on. The first, you know, we're recording this on the heels of the announcement that, you know, W.H. Smith acquired Marshall Retail Group. It's retail, I get it, but you know, within the last three, maybe even four years or so, there have been a lot of there's been a lot of m and in the industry. So, would love to get your thoughts on how that could affect the industry as a whole and um, how it could be felt down to the customer, if at all.
1: Sure, no, um, well, I guess Ramon, the first thing I think of is the industry's uh, a little bit of a reflection on Americana uh, in the sense that it is very entrepreneurial. You know, some of the great uh, legends of our business um, all were entrepreneurs who came out and, you know, literally built the business on their backs. Many of those guys started the business with credit cards, you know, just trying to figure out how to toggle things together. And when you think about the the scale and the scope of what it is that we do in an airport, I, I don't. I don't know how many people really realize just how many entrepreneurs there are like that that are out there um, doing the business. The M&A really comes from a lot of that. So a lot of those companies, including uh, Marshall Russo, are built on the back of some super talented people that were just driven, um, in some cases, singularly by themselves, whether you know, in Marshall Russo's case, you know our friend Roddy McGowan, in... In Blasim Hoje's case of HBF, you know, he did it himself. Now, of course, there's a lot of other people that work for those companies, but those entrepreneurs are the ones who have driven it. Now, the sustaining of that becomes a lot harder. You get to a certain size, and whether that's $100 million, $150 million, $200 million, the actual management of that and the consistent fueling of it in, in a capital sense is very difficult. Yeah. Those kind of companies are borrowing money in a best-case scenario from a bank. And the companies they're competing with are taking the money out of operating capital from the stock market. So it's very, very, very difficult um, to, to be able to sustain those kind of things. And so I think they'll continue to see some of that uh, uh, M&A type of stuff. Um, I think they'll probably also continue to see some entrepreneurs, sometimes even some of the same ones. Mm-hmm. will get back into it and, uh, and do it all over again or find a second life. Um, to uh, to perpetuate themselves. So, you know, there's a lot of factors. I think it sort of becomes one of these conversations uh, that people have that could be catty, if you will. We should um, recognize the talented people who grew those companies and then also recognize the real barriers to entry of our business channel that, you know, some startup company um, getting involved in it today is just incredibly difficult. That's why you don't see corporations move into our field there's just too many things that are risky to them it's true. and it's just not going to happen so do you so think
0: do you, do you think the environment is is such that there could be another wasim hogey you know it's that could like not, well not, i not think there definitely
1: be. will be yeah. I, absolutely there will be because i think that there's always going to be an opportunity um there are market factors that uh make it better for the entrepreneur than some of the big companies there are things that work against the larger businesses like ssp um labor being one of them uh you know requirements that are put on yourself uh, uh by a municipality the sex appeal of the local entrepreneur so there's definitely going to be other ones that are just like that and there, there are ones that are thriving today so you know that i mean rod the Foy dave losteller shang lor there's you know I guess the list goes on, Ray Kalal, you know, so there is a long list of folks who are just like that. Um, I do think that for them, the payout is not necessarily going to be run that business uh, forever. There's, there's always going to be some, somebody looking at it saying, Hey gosh, I get to a certain size, perhaps I want to sell. And in Marshall Russo's case, which I think the information is public, you can see what they sold for yep. pretty remarkable stuff.
0: Yeah. yeah, <laughs> No, I, I, I definitely, I just think that a lot of this, uh, a lot of the companies that you just mentioned, it's getting to a point where it is very capital intensive and it doesn't seem to be letting up, especially leading into one of the factors. My next point is uh regards to labor, which I don't think is the challenge of it. You know, the, the cost of the labor and then the, obviously the scarcity is just going to continue hanging over heads. Correct. And I, I'd love I'd to you get your perspective on, on
1: that. Yeah. I, I think, well, you know, Ramon, I'd answer that by saying there's a lot of barriers in our channel. There's also a lot of things we're very fortunate with. So uh, thankfully, air traffic um, is something that, you know, continues to grow in our business. So there's a huge amount of upside in all that. There's a lot of factors that we sort of got to work our way through. Capital costs are stratospheric. Um, and as airports become more sophisticated in how they manage the physical plan of the building, a lot of that cost just gets cascaded down to who's building it. And it's sort of shocking to think how much you could spend to build uh, an airport restaurant today. But yes. we have projects that exceed 2000, uh, $2,000 a square foot and now for, you know, in San Francisco, Seattle, Chicago, New York. So that's just four of them. There's going to be other ones that are in that same you know marketplace. I, I think that is going to be tough. Um, there still are going to be people that, um, you don't know, want to go do one, two, six of them. I don't know that they're going to do a hundred of them, um, because, uh, you keep putting that capital back in is pretty tough. You know, the other market conditions that certainly work against this is labor, you know, the, the rapid rise of labor and the scarcity, you know, you, you think that that must mean the economy is just doing really well. And I, I guess it is. I, you know, um, I feel really old when I look at it and I say, I can't believe that this is where we are today because I just don't know how it works. Um, I grew up in a restaurant business that, you know, people fought to become waiters and bartenders. And today you're literally fighting to find those people. You know, we've always looked for great people, but today it's, it's challenging in every single market we're in to find people. So, it's really hard, and then you ask yourself, how can it be hard to find people when you know wage rates are you know climbing past fifteen to past twenty dollars an hour? How can that be difficult? You know, when I, when I started, when I was throwing pizza when I was fifteen years old, you know, you get paid two dollars and fourteen cents or whatever for for that before the minimum wage went up to three bucks, right? So now we're paying that same person twenty dollars an hour. And that same person says, why would I want to go throw pizza and get flour and oil all over myself when I could just stand at the counter at a Home Depot and get to paid the same amount? Yeah. Or I can go work at the Amazon Fulfillment Center and not have to communicate with another person because I don't like talking. I mean, there is a lot of that. So it's a difficult thing. I just I would say this. What we know is hard, the industry will find its way you know, through that because it is a necessity to eat in an airport. You know, it's not something that you can just circumvent and say, oh, well, we're not going to do that. So we're going to have to find our way um, through all that stuff. And I I don't, I don't know what the perfect path is. If I give you little bits and pieces of it all along the way, there'll be some, uh, some part of it that's technology driven to make it easier for, uh, for us to serve people with um, less actual uh, people. Um, There'll be uh, components of that have to do with pricing. There'll be, You know, there's going to be other factors along the way that make it easier. It could be that the base building um, components of it get easier. Maybe more of that is is taken on by the airport itself. Um, But they're all interesting topics. It seems pretty volatile. I'm pretty sure that um, if we went back and pulled all of those airport directors that were in Montreal in 2001, they would have said it was a volatile time then too, right?
0: We'll return to my interview with Pat Murray in just a second. Brigo Coffee House is a robotic, fully automated barista consistently and conveniently making the perfect cup of coffee 24 7 in a whopping 40 square feet. Learn more about the specialty coffee experience at Brigo.com. Even download the app on the Apple App Store or on Google Play. And now, back to my interview. Yeah, I, I like to think of it a little more romantically. And I, I was asked this. Uh, uh, by someone recently, you know, how do you convince someone to to um, look at a job in an airport as opposed to a comparable job on the street? And for me, I look at all the uh, restrictions, constraints that you have to you as an operator, and everyone have to work through in this space. And at, to me, there's like a challenge to it, where you're throw, almost throwing out everything that you know in order to work in this little constrained environment, which can be kind of exciting because it, it, it's it, it's really a great almost R and D lab for any other environment um, that I. I can think of. So for me, it's just, you know, well, maybe this is the interaction. Maybe it's in addition to the, uh, you know, the higher, uh, you know, minimum wage or so. I don't know. That's the way I think of it.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, like, like you said, I think there's a lot of uh, components to it. Wages are not only, I don't think we've seen the ceiling for it yet. Yeah. Every time you see a minimum wage uh, ordinance or um, new uh, proposition that's put on a ballot, it, it not only passes, it passes by a significant amount. And so as a, as a business owner or someone that's working for a business, that sounds really difficult, but clearly that's what society wants. So we're going to have to find a way through all that stuff. Um, you know, today when I worked at, one, well, in, in my life, I worked at a lot of restaurants, you know, one of them as a teenager was McDonald's, like uh, I think one out of seven people in America have. Mm-hmm. And when I worked at McDonald's you get up a shift, that was three hours. Um, and they could send you home or they could call you in or whatever else in my day. You know, today we have a lot of municipalities that not not for our unionized workers, but just for workers, we, we have to plan in advance a couple of weeks of what their schedule is. Yeah. And if you ask someone to stay late or you send them home early, there's a fine associated with it. And, and that, so the, the, the entire business channel is changing in that regard. And clearly people want that. So we're going to have to find out how to get through that and still have businesses on
0: the other side. That, that's some difficult choreography then, I guess.
1: Um, yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> you know, I think it looks, you know, some of the factors look like Western Europe has for years. And In Western Europe, you don't have nearly the volume of full-service businesses that we have. Mm-hmm. So if I were to ask you or a friend to lunch, generally speaking, we would have thought that you're going to go sit at a table and someone's going to wait on you for that lunch. Well, there's an awful lot of business in Europe where you go to a counter and you order it and someone delivers it to you. And, you know, that hasn't quite penetrated us. We have some businesses like that, but we haven't quite gotten through all that just yet. And, um, you know, we're going to have to see how those factors, you know, change for us. Well, how do consumers react to that? There's going to be a greater differentiation in price because the waiter that is waiting on you used to get paid two dollars an hour and now they're getting paid twenty, so um, it's going to continue to evolve
0: and we're going to put a, stick a pin on that because that's going to be my my next question after this one because um, it's it's really interesting what you guys are doing uh, with regards to brigo but but next point in terms of like industry issues pouring rights you know as a consumer uh, I'm personally not a fan um, only because I, I don't like the you know, ability of choice for being removed from me, and personally, when I'm traveling with my kids, there are things that I would like for them to drink, and there's some things that maybe I am only allowing them to drink. What you know, so I'm I'm already narrowing a field that might already be pretty narrow at that point. Where I'm like, well, I'll just have a bottle of wine, you know. And it, I don't know if it's really picking up in terms of of um, acceptance or implementation in airports, but you know, I'm sure there's a lot more discussion around it. Correct.
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, this topic, um, this topic's got a lot of sides to the discussion point for starters. So I appreciate the way you framed it up there. The, um, for one, in aviation, we always have new entrepreneurs that are looking for something new. We had somebody come into business and said, hey, we can sell you the rights, uh, Mr. Airport, um, to, to you know, manage your business based on one uh, soda or water provider or whatever else. And that's of some value. And if you extract that from the operator, we can give that money to you. And I don't know that I can fault the entrepreneur for attempting to do that. What I can say is that how the discussion is really distilled, if we're able to sit around and just have some public debate about it, it's really awkward because we're not talking about the same thing as Dan Snyder and Washington Redskins Stadium. We're not talking about the same thing as Memorial Hospital. Which is where those channels really exist. Those two things are actually privately held. Yeah. We're talking about a public asset here. So the public asset was just sold. It's consummate to saying, hey, listen, we want to change you name the airport and call it X Airport and name it the Coca-Cola Airport or whatever you might might say. So there's there's some problems with that, but then I think it goes, you know, a few shades deeper where a municipality decides that it is only going to allow a certain product or it's going to sell certain rights. Well, this one is around soda. What if it was soda? What if it was beer? What if it was chicken? Yeah. What if it was, and the the, the, the tide keeps turning? What if um, uh, one state that neighbored another state was having uh, an argument and decided that, hey, we're not going to allow planes to fly to that municipality? Where, where does this stop? What rights and what you know, a a, an American city, county, state government, at what point does that cross over the line of what's an appropriate means? Now, the other side of this coin from my perspective at least is we're not talking about like some you know treasure chest of of money to a municipality. Clearly the multi-billion dollar businesses that operate most of the channel. Um, are able to buy those products less expensively than individual airports are. And I think what's happening now, Ramon, is some folks who aren't completely engaged in the channel. There's a lot of people who are in airports that aren't completely engaged and are part of the channel. They they hear at a conference or they talk to someone or they get an email and says, Oh my God, I found a three million dollars. <laughs> You know, well, you know, <laughs> I, the I, there is no such thing in America as, as things being free. Right. Yeah. But that, that doesn't occur to them because they don't see all sides of the equation on this. I think that's going to get shaken out. I think that um, uh, a lot of the folks who have been in this channel for a long time immediately and on the airport side immediately can quote to you all the, the subjects that I just talked about and they can tell you why it's a negative. And we already have a million other pressures in the business to strip out something else. Just doesn't seem to make a heck of a lot of sense. So, I personally believe as the as the topic becomes something that we're more well educated against about, I think that the tide will turn against this. We haven't had an airport specifically change their mind about this in the last twelve months. Without a lot of people talk about it, mm-hmm. and you know, um, at least for me. I just would love for before an airport or a board or a CEO decided this is what they want to do, just engage the, the operators and talk about it. And I think that we can help educate them about the challenges.
0: I think it just I, I guess um, in some ways there needs to be more of an education because from the airport's perspective, maybe depending on where they are. And there are challenges with the PFCs and the IP, all that funding stuff. And especially that could, I don't know if that's a sole motivation. I don't think it's going to, and I think you and I spoke about it before, you know, what's a million dollars of what that's really a can of paint, but I I think where they are, that might be one of the motivations, but maybe they're not looking or understanding your side of the business. It's not just SSP host, anyone else trying to, you know, fatten up the pockets. It's really, there's a, there's a domino effect to all this, which goes down to the consumer, which is their traveler, your customer.
1: For starters, every business we have in North America is a joint venture, and we only own part of it. So the injury isn't just felt by us; it's felt okay. by many. I think you said a few things there. I think a million dollars, depending on what you're trying to buy, sounds like a lot when you're trying to build a runway with it or that's a terminal. A <laughs> that's yeah. Um, even when you're trying to operate the terminal, it's not that much money, depending on what you know what it is. You're you know actually talking about but then I think if you carve a layer beneath that you said PFCs right mm. so PFCs is a topic that um, is, this is an actual argument between airports and airlines and that's it the airlines have federal lobbyists they're pushing so hard and have a lot more power and resource than the airports do and that's why this topic hasn't moved very far the airlines are going to pay for the operation of the airport of or most of it, regardless of what else happens. So all of the funding that goes into an airport is coming from those airlines. They don't want to see it come in the form of a PFC because the PFC is is a component of that financing that the airlines do not have to approve the airport doing something with it. So when you have a capital project in an airport, you need a new terminal. The the city, generally speaking, is going to go to the airlines and say, "Hey, we're going to spend this money to improve the customer experience in the building. This is how we're going to spend the money, et cetera, et cetera." And then it's paid for by the airlines. They back the bonds to pay for that expansion. So if you go back to the million dollars, that is offsetting some of that with non-aeronautical revenue. The difference is it's not free, like we just talked about. It comes at a cost, and it doesn 't in my mind i I think that the folks who are pressing it either put it, put the topic out there and now have reacted defensively to it or just haven 't spent enough time to try to dig into the issue because it doesn 't make a lot of sense
0: i, I what i 'm saying is that i it 's more just um, when presented saying i 'm going to give you a million dollars or whatever the amount is, and I know I need to build you know concourse x or rehab a runway whatever it, it it tends to get pretty attractive quick. And again, not looking, as you were saying, how injurious it could be to not, your, not just yourself, your partners and ultimately the consumer. So I think that's, that's why it's, it definitely needs more of an education sure. and longer conversation. Well,
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Obviously by limiting choice, that, that's a whole nother component of it. And uh, you know, when a municipality begins to attach itself to a single product, what happens when that product does something that is um, controversial? (laughs) Meaning one of those, uh, you know, beverage providers has a television ad that is either inappropriate or they make a mistake or whatever else. What does the municipality do then? (laughs) Just try to think about all the ramifications of this. It sounds um, odd. (laughs) I, I think to myself, what would airlines do if the airport told them they could only buy gasoline from their gas company. I, I think that the airlines should take them to court.
0: Well, there's, I, there's, I, the, there's that inverse effect, right? When the absence yeah. of alternatives, the prices in, go up pretty much, and that's probably yep. what could happen <laughs> in many ways.
1: Yeah no so anyway I think the issue will work its work its way through in due course and uh, I think our channel is not the same as as I suggested the privatized hospital or um, a stadium or or or. And that's the channel that those folks typically operate in.
0: So my next question to you, Pat, I uh, want to look at um, some external trends within the, within the industry. Um, so tech is the one really, I really want to go uh, towards. And we mentioned labor earlier, and I was really excited with your partnership with Brigo. Um, if people are not familiar with Brigo, it's an automated uh, coffee solution where you can walk up uh, order your coffee or I believe you can even use an app. They were at the conference last year and I was really impressed by everything that they've done. And it seems like they're really growing in a lot of different spaces. Uh, I think they have a deal with with uh, Whole Foods now. but um, I saw this as uh, number one a great move in terms of differentiating a product category and maybe um, adding something cool and interesting for the for the passenger but also as um, you know another way to kind of won't say remedy or answer but like provide a service considering, the challenge and restrictions that labor at this stage is affecting the industry.
1: Um, so, for anyone listening, uh, if you went to brigo.com, which is B R I G G O.com, you can actually see the, the, the units functioning online. So, they have a lot of video there. Um, you know, for us, uh, well, let me say, for the, for the industry, both in airports and just restaurants in general. Technology is a topic that we struggle with mightily because we search for something that uh, works in our environment is functional, all that stuff. Um, and then I, I think w- we also try to figure out how it adapts to consumers mm-hmm. and not all the solutions that are out there uh, necessarily work at SSP. I think whether it's technology or food types or restaurants or um, tours that we partner with, whoever that is, we're always looking for something that's cool. We're not, we're, we're, you know, there's no necessary way to describe all the things that fit into that category. A lot of things can, um, can do that for different reasons, but we're not looking for something that is trendy, you know, meaning something that just shows up on the shelf and, you know, works its way off eventually. So, I think Brigo is something that, you know, when it was first presented to me, I was like, oh, God, I thought about all over Europe. You see these um, sort of versions of Nescafe machines that you see in airports that you pay for. And I'm like, this is not really going to help an American. And then, you know, I went and looked at it uh, in Austin, they're based in Austin. I went and looked at the the units, um, and how they functioned. And just while I was standing there could have been a commercial because (laughs) people were coming up, they were kind of, you know, trying to figure out it's, it's a curious thing because the machine itself, um, has some really slick elements to it, right? You, you essentially go, uh, place an order, stick in your credit card, and then it processes your order. And you actually watch all these robotic arms move back and forth and make the cup of coffee. And then it holds the cup of coffee that actually will hold up to 20 cups of coffee at one time or 20 different beverages at one time until you come back up, put your credit card back in a different slot. You put your credit card in and then this door opens and it passes the the thing out. It's right out of, uh, you know, for the old folks listening, uh, right out of the Jetsons. And, you know, it, it is cool. Um, you know, we, uh, so we latched onto it for a variety of reasons. You know, we think that first it can hold three different brands of coffee. Um, Brigo itself is a coffee company, so that's one help, but we could actually have two other brands of coffee in there. Um, we think that there's a lot of applications for coffee locations in airports that are either overrun or the line is too long at five 30 in the morning. And a lot of people want coffee because they want to get real coffee, not what they're going to get on the plane. So there's a, there's a value add to that experience that um, is sort of neat. I think that the, the future of this is unknown. Um, so were you to come to me and say, are we ready to have the hamburger location that, you know, does all the same things? Pro- probably not. Um, I mean, you know, that there are people that are experimenting with those kind of things today. I think, you know, we, we still want to find stuff that's cool and interesting and fun for a consumer and, um, obviously the value add to the industry. So I, I think this is, um, one of those things. And, you know, we have a handful of units rolling out now, so, um, it's exciting stuff. Uh, but you know, you gotta make, when you get to technology stuff, you gotta really be cautious and pick it up and shake it out and everything else. Otherwise, you can end up spending a lot of time on that and then go, gosh, is it really that special or
0: different? I'm not sure. Well, 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 judging by your reaction earlier about like just being a little puzzled by the machine, is it safe to say that there isn't a Keurig in the the Murray household or is there? <laughs> no no, Keurig in the Murray household. I'm a nutty <laughs> coffee
1: guy. So I got the gravity fed grinder and all that kind of stuff. But, um, no, I mean, I, like I said, I think this, uh, uh, when people look at it, there's a number of other companies that are trying to do similar things. What they haven't done is figure out how to use the robotic elements of it to show people what they're doing. So the actual um, excitement isn't actually yeah. watching what's going
0: on. I, I think a lot of that is just for theater. And and, and there was another one, I think is Cafe X. Um, and I, they didn't yep. bring a machine, but I saw how it was. I'm like, it's cool. But it is for theater. I think that the bigger thing uh, about um, the tech, not just for tech's sake, is, you know, whether it's order head apps, uh, you know, self-service kiosks, um, you know, Brigo machines, etc. It seemed like there's a lessening of interaction or an evolving of interaction between your associate and the customer. And how is that, how's customer service evolving as a result of that? Because ultimately now look at uh, Chick-fil-A, I think on the street, they have really just what it amounts to fulfillment centers. You know, you order through the app, you go pick it up at whatever time and you're on your way, you have delivery services, et cetera. I guess it's not necessarily tech, but I guess it's, it, it's now creeping into our space and having us to really, or forcing us to really rethink how people want to engage and be engaged in our space. That's, that's where I'm going. With it, actually.
1: Yeah. I think that um, it's a very good point. And uh, one of those things that for each of us, we have to consider one of the problems or opportunities that we have in the channel is that Chick-fil-A has its own app. And at this point is a household name in most markets and, You you can rattle off the brands that are of scale. That's really where that app portion of it works. Having an app for every brand that we have at an airport is a really cumbersome vehicle. And we haven't as as an industry, we haven't sorted out how to get over that one, whether it's from the airport or it's uh, from uh, the companies like ourselves or one of our competitors. And everybody's tried to dip their toe in the water to kind of figure that one out. And it's been very hard. Consumers in an airport, that's not the place where folks are likely to download the app. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the only reason why they downloaded airline apps is because people stood in, stood in the aisles and said, if you don't download it, you're not going to watch any kind of television or movie while you're flying. <laughs> and they started downloading them or, or to get your ticket or whatever. Getting people to download an app is, uh, you know, actually a business. So people have to think about that. So for us, I think there's going to be some challenges with all that stuff and how how that works. Hopefully, it will continue to evolve and the next platforms that come down the road will make it more easy for people to do just what Chick-fil-A is doing because there is likely an application for that in an airport. You know, you have to ask yourself, how much time does it save you to go through that exercise? It could be that it doesn't save you any time, but you don't have to actually talk to anyone. So if you're always on the phone yeah. for work, it helps you not have to communicate. In that sense, it could be a kiosk in front of the unit, and we have an awful lot of those that the, you know, the kiosk allows a consumer to not get caught up in a conversation so they can continue talking to either who they're traveling with or on the phone, or you know watch the football game, you know, so all of the above, right? So all those things can happen with a kiosk. So we have an awful lot of those out there as a company. But I think you know. There's also a point where you go too far. When you have decided to not have a bartender talk to a consumer, that seems like it's a pretty big uh, way to go, right?
0: Well, um, I, I think it's it might be a matter of price point then, right? I mean, if it was a QSR, an established QSR, I should say, like a Chick fil A or a Panera or something, like that, I think I think it's it makes sense because that behavior is already. Ingrain outside of our environment, and and will be so once it starts to pervade our 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 space. I think if if I were to be, let's say, on thirteen hundred Fillmore or or one of your establishments where it is a sit down, I'd like to be educated on you know where my steak was sourced or what my uh, drink is made from because there is a story behind it. I mean, at the end of the day. Eating is, is very social. Um, I don't like a lot of things between myself and my family. I'd like to say, oh yeah, I made this dish and it was composed of these ingredients or at least hearing the, um, it's the whole Tony Bourdain aspect of it, right? The whole story behind the food and how it brings people together. And it, that might be great for uh, if you're on the move and just need something quick versus when there's the expectation of in a sit-down restaurant, a Roots crisp or something and you know, um, still wanting that engagement. Is, is, is that is that fair for me to to
1: to say? Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right, and I think you know we'll sort that out over time in our businesses as well as the street. will start to sort that out. Yeah. Most of the apps that we're talking about are quick service businesses. Full service businesses don't have quite the same you know desire to have those uh, you know restaurants in terms of their street side consumers. I guess you know it, it does afford people the opportunity to come and pick things up uh, more easily. Um, but a lot of that, I guess, is just advertisement. So I, I think you're exactly right. It is going to take some time to sort out the value for money equation that comes along with what do you, if you have a person to help you as opposed to one that you don't. And, you know, it's a, it's a tricky thing for businesses um, to figure out what's right when and, and uh, when to jump off the cliff, if you will, on, you know, when to put something out there to have people order from that doesn't uh, allow a consumer to talk to a human being. So, you know, I, I, of course, being an older guy, I think that conversation is, uh, important. Um, uh, my children, um, would say something entirely different, you know, uh, my, my youngest kids don't have voicemails set up on their phone and probably the only actual phone calls they've ever gotten are from either me or my wife. So, you know, they're used to, you know, constantly, you know, doing something different. So for, and, and today we make fun of them for that, um, you know who knows you know not another so 15 for years, well yeah. yeah yeah i mean that's my point it's kind of hard because if you can step back and you know it, we make fun of them but you know my parents made fun of me for not tying my you know converse shoelaces right so because we all thought that was cool not to tie our shoelaces with crazy wild kids we were um so you know i i think who knows right that, that's sort of my point
0: well, your kids are going to make up, and I read a story, um a study somewhere, you know, the gen, the, not even millennials, the gen wires, I think that's, or Z's or whoever's next is going to make up maybe two thirds of the traveling public in the next decade or so. And however the hell they behave is going to be, <laughs> you know, what's going to be. So basically your kids are our next customers, essentially. So let's not laugh too sure. long. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, I think my kids, you know, I, I say this often uh, in airport settings, my kids, not because they're special or we force them to do certain things. They're just a reflection on the group of, I think, young people in the world are more conscious about what they eat. Um, I, I I bet that if you ask each one of them, they could count on their fingers the number of times in their life they've been to a McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, etc., I, it's just not the wave of the future for those kids. Um, they go to Panera Bread, right? They get salads. <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, there's no such thing as ordering a salad as a teenager. You know, I, I think I think they're just constantly evolving in that world. And then, you know, hey, it's another part of what are the trends of the future is, mm-hmm. you know, what kinds of foods are necessary uh, necessity today? When you go to a grocery store and there's an entire cooler door um, that's attributed to almond milk, or some other non dairy um, product, you can see, gosh, this is something we're going to have to grip with. Or gluten free uh, foods, which is this is a, a massive segment of society that is not trying to be healthy. It's it's actually something that they are allergic to. Yeah. So. We are all going to have to continue to migrate and uh, evolve uh, with some of those trends because they 're too important to us
0: do you f- i 'm glad you mentioned the gluten free uh, the, the d- different diet trends like keto or, or paleo et cetera are i mean they're they're gaining popularity i think last five years or so but now they 're getting into our space even more how does How does that affect you as a business owner because i mean, i can 't imagine that a gluten free bun is going to be a far uh, less expensive than a, a brioche, you know, piece of bread or something. Um, so. I don't think it's a,
1: yeah, I don't think it's expensive. Um, I think it's probably more about uh, just paying attention to it, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, for um all types of businesses, over time you have to evolve with the times. And like I said, I use the analogy of the grocery store because it's very mainstream. Um, and I think when you see these kind of things, the number of products that are similar to a bread that are gluten-free that you can buy today is mm. sort of shocking. If you go down the pasta aisle in a normal grocery store, you find, you know, quinoa pasta and <laughs>
0: Fake pasta. You know, rice
1: stuff and all oh, yeah, all kinds yeah. of stuff. Right. And I think, uh, well, you know, I, I guess I'd say I'm fortunate to myself not be allergic to something like that, but there are a lot of people that are, and um, you know, we're just opening our eyes to all this stuff. So, I think that you got to c- continually take a look at these things. It, one of the differences at SSP is, you know, today we're operating about 600 restaurants in North America. Um, of those 600 restaurants, uh, a very few of them are, there's more than one. You know, meaning, you know, we do operate a, a handful some of Dunkin' Donuts, some Peet's mm-hmm. Coffee, but almost all of them are local businesses. So you have um, constantly, whatever that is, 550 different entrepreneurs that are impacting us because they're saying, gosh, this is what I'm doing on the street. You guys really need to take a look at, you know, the gluten-free trends and how, you know, those impact your menus. So I think that we get that pushing from all sides. You get it from consumers asking about it. We get it from our employees who want to eat it. And then we get it from, uh, you know, the restaurateurs or chefs that are driving the menus themselves. So, And I think we'll continue to see more of them. I don't think this is a, this is not a trendy thing. This is around for a while.
0: So Pat, my last question for you is, I know you already said that your 2020 is, has already started, but I would love for you to kind of just uh, look a little ahead and share about what you're looking forward to for SSP in 2020, or maybe even what you're looking forward to for the, from the industry
1: every year that goes by uh, Ramon, you know, specifically in, in your, in my relationship and uh, many of the folks who I touched on today, you know, you sort of grown old together, right? So we've seen a lot of, things, um, uh, lots of, uh, uh, you know, challenges, opportunities, battles, wins, losses, unfortunately, you know, lots of things, uh, that, that come along and the industry is a pretty small place. Um, there's a lot of great things going on in our channel, whether it's, um, new airports being built or new flights coming on or new, you know, connectivity, et cetera. So all of those things, at least in my mind, are going to continue um, to grow our business. So I think that's really exciting specifically at SSP. I think, you know, we're blessed by a million things, you know, uh, we have uh, the backing of uh, our British parent um, behind us. They have done very well, well around the world because of that it makes our life that much easier. Um, so we have, uh, you know, some quality financial support to grow the business. Um, over time, uh, we've grown the, the folks that run the company into, uh, you know, what I would say is a great working team and we're going to continue to grow that team. Every time someone looks around and thinks, Oh God, do we have enough? Then you realize, no, no, we need three or four more people that are able to do this job. We're going to continue to grow in some new cities. And uh, generally, that means new friends, new people, new restaurants, new airport folks. And, uh, you know, they're exciting days. Uh, You know, I I absolutely, I'm a half glass full guy. So I'm sure, you know, anybody would say that uh, about the way I look at things. So I try not to dwell too much on the the opportunities that we got because we got those too. But it's a really fun place to work. Um, Even the notion that you're recording a podcast, the amount of information that we just talked about in our little 45 minutes together is a lot more than you could ever capture in a news article. And, uh, you know, certainly it's a part of the, the wave of the future. So, so to round it out, I just would have said, you know, 2020 looks bright and uh, super excited about what's in front of us. Excellent.
0: Well, Pat, thanks again for taking the time to speak with me.
1: Hey, hey, thanks so much, Ramon. Appreciate it. and Talk soon. Have a wonderful week.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Pat Murray of SSP. And once again, thanks to Brigo Coffeehouse for sponsoring this episode. Of course, you can learn more about their automated specialty coffee experience at Brigo.com and naturally download the Brigo app on the Apple App Store or on Google Play. Once again, thanks for listening.